Thank you for your giving. Would you turn in your Bible, please, to the book of Revelation, chapter 3. You don't even need to bother with the index to find out where that book is. You just go to the very end, book of Revelation. I wanted to uh, begin this message by saying that this was, uh, this was given to me <clears throat> by a really odd circumstance that happened um, two nights ago. It was about three in the morning, and I, I was praying in, in, in the night, and I was, it was one of those times where there was somewhat of a warfare going on. You know those kind of dreams that you have or night visions. And all of a sudden, in the midst of that, I was awakened out of my sleep by hearing very loud knocking like that. And um, I thought, what is that? And so I, like in the Christmas carol, I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. And I, as many of you would, I mean, I went to the doors and looked outside and I looked out in the yard saw nothing. I, I didn't see anything. I was kind of grateful for that because I thought there's not much good that could be happening if somebody's knocking at your door at three in the morning. And so um, I went and sat in the, the front room in, uh, in a chair there and started to pray in the spirit. And I was reflecting on, I must have heard that in the spirit. And um, it was so loud and so beckoning that it just startled me from the intercession. Because when I, when I came to my senses, uh, is, the natural senses, I recognized that I had been praying in the Spirit and there was some kind of a, of a kind of a almost like spiritual pushing to see the violent that take it by force that tries to exert. That's what Jesus said about what he meant by the violent take it by force. It was pushing um, kind of like the old king of the hill kind of game you used to play where one guy tries to get, or a girl, I guess, um, up on the top of the hill. And you, you to do that, you had to push everybody else off. And that's the kind of thought about the violent take it by force. And that was the kind of intercession that was going on. But then to hear that knocking, and of course, I did what, We've all tried to pattern that we should do when something like that happened. I prayed. I immediately tried to remember any other thing that I could recall from the moment itself. And um, then I started to go through the, the, the scriptural index in my own heart. And, of course, the passage that we're going to look at came first to mind, but then... Um, there was another passage in Matthew 7 that we're going to reference in Luke 11 about knocking. And I knew that it was, I, I knew that it was a, a, an essential thing for me and for us as a network in this moment. And I do know that it was, was something that was a sign and a signature direction for where we are as a people known as the saints in this world right now. So we're going to look at knocking and we're going to talk about it from a scriptural perspective to, to see what it really does.
does represent spiritually because I think it helps us to recognize the moment we're in as intercessors, but not just as intercessors, as, as people who are partnering in the timetable of God. A lot of intercessors are, they're all wonderful. Anybody who's willing to intercede is a wonderful person. But not all intercessors have stepped into that reality of partnering with the timeline of God. So understanding how knocking scripturally fits in that helps us to recognize one of the, some of the things that God is doing right now on behalf of what's happening in the world. So let's, let's look at this. Luke, Matthew, we'll get to Luke and Matthew. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. <clears throat> Under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, Leo, Lao is people. So this is, you know, the seventh church, which represents truth and sonship. Um, the people that have conquered and are, are now a people. Right. These things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works. You are neither cold or hot. I would you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and know not that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that you may be rich, and white raiment, that you may be clothed, and that the shame of your nakedness does not appear. Anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and him he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. Now, to me, any group that is functional as tr in truth and sons, where you have recognized great victories in the Spirit, and you subsequently have be become wealthy in your knowledge of the Lord, and subsequently you're prospered, and God has provided for you, and there's a sense of accomplishment, and there's a sense of arrival. Any group like that has the opportunity to reflect on what God has done, position themselves to go forward into the new, or to rest on their laurels and become those that are lukewarm, who really don't want to do anything. They're not passionate they're not disinterested. They have a form of godliness. They deny the power thereof, and that's lukewarm. The Lord does not want his sons to become that way. And so he says here that a number of things. We're going to touch just on a, a couple of them. And remember, our focus is going to be on what knocking means. And I'll just say it up front. Knocking is what you do when you're ready to 
by the Spirit segue into a new thing. And we, it's an important aspect of spiritual function that is necessary for us to understand so that we can go into the new thing. And um, so that's where we're going. And by the end of this message, hopefully this will become clearer. The Lord said that these people thought they were rich. They had no need of anything. And it just he just described the complacency that can come. And, and it's not it might not come because you're prideful. It might not become, come because you've got so much stuff you, you really aren't hungry anymore. It might come that because you're just tired. It might come because in managing what has been given, you have become wearied with the whole thing. And um, uh, I'm not giving excuses, but what I am doing is giving symptoms and what their possible causes are. So Jesus said that even though you think you've got everything, you've not realized that you are, and he lists five things, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. The interesting thing about wretched, I studied this word yesterday for, I don't know, maybe close to an hour. And it's really a colorful word that the Lord chose. Um, it's based off the word that we know as talent. You know, the, the talents that were given to people. There's a weightiness involved there. There's, a, there's a, an authority there. And, um, but, but the word that is used to describe wretched has that word, talenton, but it also has porous, or to be pierced. And, you know, we use, we use this word etymologically to describe the talons on a bird, where a bird would come in with those sharp talons, grab something that was a treasure to it, food of some sort, pierce that, and carry it away. So you would say that's, you could, they, they somehow use that word to, de to describe those as talons because it's a talent that the bird has, but it also focuses on what is important to that bird, that treasure that that bird has found. And they, they, it comes down and it grabs that thing and off it goes. So it's a unique capacity that a bird has, but it's also something that it treasures. Now, the challenge with this word, wretched, is that you look at what these people treasure, but it has become pierced. And it's either, by virtue of becoming pierced, made inauthentic, invaluable, or it, whatever was in it has leaked out. So at one point, it was, it was a good thing. It was a, a gifting or it was a, a treasure of some sort, but because it's been pierced, it no longer is valid. Uh, and and it, it may have lost its efficacy, or it may have lost the treasures that it once held. Now, how that becomes pierced, who's to say? It could be pierced because of what we read about with the parable of the 
soils where thorns come and pierce the fruit. It could be pierced for any number of things, but the point is that whatever these people thought they had has now become worthless. And um, miserable means that they were resorting to begging. Poor means that they, um, they're barely getting by. They're paupers. It's a, it's a term that describes an identity or classification. Blind means they're just not seeing anymore or what they're seeing is being misinterpreted or they're looking at the wrong thing. And naked means that they don't have the current measure of covering. They don't have the mantle. They don't have the identity. So if you turn all five of those things, and granted it's a five-fold thing, you would say that the Lord would want us to value what he treasures and not invest ourselves in things of the past or things that we can't hold on to anyway. Um, that we would not be beggars, but that we would be those that function in supplication, where we're beseeching the Lord and calling unto him for what needs to be, that we would not be known as paupers, but as sons, that we would not be blind, but that we would be seeing the truths of the Spirit, and that we would not be naked, but as was the case with Adam and Eve, we're covered by the Spirit of the Lord and by the mantle of what he's called us to be. And Jesus admonished them, verse 18, counseled them to buy gold of him. Buy of me gold tried in the fire. Now, that's an odd thing. You know, in all the times that we've been able to privilege to see the things in heaven, I've never seen a gold booth up there where Jesus is by there. Okay, the gold booth's going to be open today from, uh, you know, I don't see that anywhere. So what does this mean? Well, the gold here is not necessarily the, the metal itself, but it, it's a, some kind of a medallion or some kind of a, and you can look this up for yourself, some kind of a, an emblem made of gold. And the emphasis is more on the medallion or the emblem and what that represents. It's like a commissioning. And you, you get that from the Lord who is your elder brother, who stands with you in your terio, who is laboring with you on behalf of the work of the Father, who ever lives to make intercession that you accomplish what the Father wants. And when you are a son that is looking for the new day, you go to the Lord, and how would you pay the Lord? What do you possibly have that he doesn't have? Well, the only thing is your willingness to serve, your willingness to worship, your willingness to give your heart. Those are the only things God doesn't have. And you have to give them. No amount of money could buy this. No amount of, of negotiation could get it. But if you're going to obtain, if you're going to buy of him this, you've got to give him something that he wants. Do you ever try, I mean, when I was growing up, you know, boys that we would 
we would uh, trade things, you know, trade baseball cards, marbles, that kind of thing. And if you've ever tried to trade stuff you didn't want for something you wanted, but the guy who had what you wanted didn't want what you were trying to trade either, that doesn't work. You're trying to buy something from the Lord, offering him stuff that he doesn't want, or that he's got enough of, or more than enough of. That doesn't work. So if you're going to buy this authority, this measure of gold, which is always equated with faith, which is what God says at the throne, and you, you go with it, you've got, to, you've got to give the Lord something. You've got to show something that he wants. And the only thing that he would want in this equation is your devotion and your willingness and your desire not to be lukewarm, but to, to say, I'm here. I'm in this. I'm in the gap. I'm not turning. I'm, I'm with you. And that's what gives this. And then you also want raiment, white raiment, which is the garment of the saints, according to what Revelation says that white linen, and it also speaks about that, um, that whatever that is of righteousness that you're doing for the Father. So those are the things that the Lord gives us, and uh, we need to recognize that what we did yesterday doesn't count really anymore other than experience and, and uh, a, a, a point of offering of your devotion to the Father. You're only as good as where you're going and what you're doing with the Father. If you become lukewarm and you say, I'm not interested anymore, that doesn't cut it with the Lord. And there will, throughout, <coughs> excuse me, throughout eternity, we're going to keep doing this. <clears throat> and so we need these five things. And in that, then, we buy of the Lord this medallion, and we buy that covering. And we also want us to, to have the anointing upon our eyes that we would see what he wants us to see and that we wouldn't miss it. It's by anointing. It's not by, well, this goober over here found all these demonic things. Let's bring them in and use them. It's not because we heard somebody else teach it, and hey, I can do that. It's to see in this, in this partnership, in this level of partnership, is through the, the commissioning of the Father and the anointing that comes upon you. And I, I, you know, I make no apologies for, for that calling God's given to us. You know, sometimes people say, well, you know, you know, uh, you know they, they'll say things. You're not the only ones that are seeing. Well, we're not. The saints are seeing. But this is what God's called us to be. We're in his classroom. We're wearing the robes that identify us with the angelic that's been assigned here. And we are God's people here. I'm not going to go into some other classroom. I really don't care what's going on in another classroom. We're being taught by the Holy Ghost and in alignment with the Scripture. And I think he's done a pretty good job to this point, wouldn't you say? We don't lack. We don't come to a point where we say, oh, you know, I haven't gotten anything for the past few months. 
Uh, wonder what else is out there. God's very jealous of this. Not me. I mean, I, I speak very sternly about this, but it's because of the one who's called us. He, he is jealous over us in this thing. And, um, you know, I don't know if you were, when you were growing up, if you ever made the mistake of coming to your parents and saying, well, the kids down the street did this, or Johnny's dad says it's okay, what, what would you hear? Uh, maybe there was some other, some other application that came to you first. You're not Johnny's dad's kid. Isn't that what, that kind of thing you hear? Well, Earthly parents know how to say that. The Heavenly Father knows how to say that. And so he says these things, as many as I love, and that is not agape, that's phileo. If you're going to be working with me, Jesus says, you've got to do the things my way. <laughs> you've got to do what I'm doing. That's what phileo is. You know, if you're, if you're going to have friends, you probably hang around people that you like what they do and they like what you do. You, you don't go hang around with people you don't like to be around. Is that right? Hey, let's go to a party. We don't like any of these people, but they do a bunch of stuff we don't like. We'll go hang around with them anyway. You don't do that. So if you're going to be walking with Jesus, he is going to be correcting and chastening. And that's, that's what he does. So he says those things here at the end of these seven churches. He says these things to the group that represents people who have overcome and who have been walking in the blessing of God. He says these things to people challenging them in these five ways. He says, I want to clothe you and I want to give you a medallion of faith to do something exemplary in a new way in a new day. And you're going to walk with me, and, and I'm going to be teaching you. And yes, there's going to be some chastening that comes. And then at that point, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, if, you, if you've heard what I've been saying here, what's the context of this? All of these things. If you hear what I've been saying and you open that door, I'm going to come in, we're going to sup together, and I'm going to grant you to sit with me in my throne, even as I overcame. That's at the right hand of the Father as sons, and am set down with my Father in his throne. But that knocking, Jesus knocks here. Jesus is the one that's knocking here, which says, I'm appealing to you to enter into the new day with me. I'm appealing with you to welcome me to you so that a new thing will happen. Because the objective here is not to go into simply the chapter 4 and to look around heaven. The objective in these seven churches is to show what do we do now to go into the new day? What do we do now to partner with Jesus in the new thing? Yes, we've had good things. Yes, we've had wonderful things. But now he's saying, will you open? I'm knocking. Something new is coming. Will you partner with me in it? I, I think that's important for us to see. Matthew chapter 7. This is the famous ask, seek, 
knock passage. And it begins, it begins with a word that should have great meaning for all of us. Uh, Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be open unto you. We're going to talk about those three. But notice then, what, what's the context? For everyone that asks receives, he that seeks finds, and to him that knocks, it will be open. What man is there of you whom, if his son asks bread? We focus a lot on the bread and the stone. We focus a lot on the fish and the serpent and in... in uh, in Luke, then the egg and the scorpion, but we often miss the fact that this is a discussion between the father and the sons. That's essential to see. Ask here is the Greek word aiteo, and it's, uh, it's a word that was never used to describe the way Jesus prayed. But in the... Um, in the, uh, the Septuagint, which was the 70 Jewish scholars who were commissioned to translate the Old Testament into Greek. So they had to be precise. It was for the purpose of the Jews that were scattered through the Hellenization throughout the known world for them to have accurate portrayal of what the scriptures were. And... Um, this was undoubtedly important to the, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, so you know that whatever they did was accurate in Hebrew. Uh, ask here is um, in the Septuagint, you, mostly, I, I think the, the percentage was almost 90% of the time, the word Sha'al. And we know that, ask of me. That was the privilege of kings. That was the privilege of being intimate with God. That innermost clothing that you would have when you're there in your house just with the people that were closest to you. So you begin this, ask, and it shall be given you. You begin this with that, that word that doesn't just mean ask for something. It, 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 it's typified as somebody who's a son somebody who's walking with the king, somebody who has authority. And what a unique thing to begin with. Ask, and it'll be given. Very similar to what we've been talking about in supplication. You are partnering with God. Very similar to what the Spirit would say, I'm going to show you this, now you have to believe. And the very next thing, I think this is important for us to see because the next thing is you've got to seek it's not enough just to ask for it or to go to argue it in heaven. You've got to seek for it. And that's where in this sila, the ask, seek, knock, in this sila part of the threefold, that's where we've been as sons. Many people lose this because this is a, this is a higher level of, this is, he's talking to, those that are heirs and joint heirs here, obviously. He's talking to people that, have, that are functioning in kingly authority. You may be born into the royal line, but you ain't got no authority until you demonstrate you're capable of it. And that's just the way it is, whether it's England or wherever else there's been a royal succession. And um, so this word here is not just, well, you know, I put together a bunch of scriptures and I'm just going to toss them up before God and 
ask him in Jesus' name to give them to me. This word is a word that starts with kingly authority. But then you've got to continue with kingly seeking. And here's where it gets difficult. Because the greater the vision, the greater the opposition. The narrower the way, the, the more arduous it is to press through. And um, God is all about the seeking. He's all about the journey. It's what he loves. It's what he loves most. He wants to walk with you through the valley. He wants to walk with you and discover. He's closer to you in the Selah than he is in the promise or the fulfillment, or, or he's always with you. But the, the most endearing part of that relationship is developed in the Selah. So the seeking, when you are in a position of kingly authority as a son, and you're asking God, whether it's for bread, which is hearing from God, no matter how hard the circumstance is, or whether it's a fish that represents more so the bathos, pulling the net with the genos to find the mystery, to find what God is really wanting to reveal, or whether it's the egg of new beginning. These are the things that sons are commissioned by God to know. And it's the seeking where we've been walking in this time of transition. It's the seeking that's been most difficult because of what's coming, of what is so dynamically in front of us. And the finding is almost a fait accompli because you've done the kingly asking engendered by the directive of the Father. You have sought, and then the, the finding comes. When the finding comes, it's usually a suddenly. No man knows the day or the hour. They were, the Lord, the angels and the Lord told them to go and wait in Jerusalem. And they went and they tarried there. They lost a lot of people, but they tarried there and they prosuked there. And when the answer came, it was suddenly and suddenly. God loves the suddenly. It's when you've done the first two things, the suddenly is going to come. It's that seeking part that sometimes you wonder, dear God, am I ever going to come to that point of understanding, and resolving this mystery and the depth of what you're wanting to do? There's a lot of serpents around trying to keep you, to deceive you, to, to lead you astray or intimidate you. But, you know, if, if you... If you can bypass the rocks of this world and truly ask with that bread of the Father, receive from him, say what he will, and if you will crush the head of the serpent and not be led astray, hath God said, the serpent said, if you can, in, in the valley, in that point of seeking, ignore that, you'll find the depth of what God wants. And the knocking is coming after those two things. And I think we're at that point right now. 
Uh, it's interesting to see what Jesus said after, I'm just going to reference this, after this, <clears throat> he talks about um, uh, the Father wanting to have these good gifts exchanged, these callous gifts for his children, and uh, reminding us that you've got to go through the, the straight gate and not the wide gate of destruction. You've got to be wary of false prophets with common sheep's clothing, but inwardly they just want to rip you up. And um, a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Uh, he, he, goes, he goes on down through here. Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom. Some will tell all the stuff they did, the, the way they can prophesy and their deliverance ministry. And the Lord says, uh, I profess, I never knew you. Therefore, who hears these sayings of mine and does them? It's like a wise man that builds his house on a rock, on that foundation. No matter what comes, you're going to be okay. That's what Jesus said after this ask, seek, knock. Now in Luke 11, he talks about ask, seek, knock again. And right after that, he begins to cast out a devil, Beelzebub. And uh, then the people say, oh, you know, look at him. He's really being moved upon by the devil. And Jesus goes through that discussion about how to take a stronghold and how to overcome the stronghold. And, and uh, you bind the strong man, and then you take possession of the armaments and the armor that he had. And then you distribute the goods to the poor so that victory and blessing comes. Both of those are immediately following the ask, seek, not, which makes me wonder, were these not two specific teaching references that Jesus gave? I tend to agree that they were, because they seem to be in context. And this is where we are with the ask, seek, knock. We're about to see great strongholds topple and great victories come. We're about to see God bring visitation in the land. We're about to see tremendous things that um, are in the face of many false prophets, many false plantings, but we're going to be remaining faithful because we're building this oikodome, this house, on the solid rock. So the knocking said to me, it's, it's getting pretty close time for these breakthroughs, these beginnings to initiate. And the Lord is saying to us, not in the voice of T.D. Jakes, get ready, get ready, get ready. I'm knocking. Are you willing to accept this? Open the door. We'll begin the process of discussing this. But you know what? I think we've been past that. I think we, uh, we're at a moment where we've been seeking for a while. You know, it's been, C.C. mentioned this earlier in class. I can't remember when, a couple years now, God's been speaking to us about what it means to, to hear from him and declare as supplicants, as partners. And um, we've been seeking for this. And I, I, I know... You know, I mentioned earlier during the, whatever that was I was doing about the nations. And I know God has strongly put something in our hearts for next year in the Ohio Basin. Um, 
And I've been every couple days or so trying to dig deeply into um, the histories of our country, the spiritual visitations that have happened there. And I mentioned that where, where we're going to be going, one of the places we're going to be going next June, it looks like, haven't set dates yet, but it's going to be in June, um, is up in that histeme where in the past 150 years in our country, God has really moved miraculously in a number of ways. And we're going to be doing an all-night prayer time, and uh, I'm believing for an outdoor meeting of some form uh, very, very near to where Mariah Woodworth Etter was born and where she lived and where she began her ministry. And it's funny, uh, we would say Maria. Most historians that I hear talk about her say Mariah. I have a feeling that that's how she pronounced her name, but it doesn't matter. She's with the Lord anyway. She doesn't care what we call her. But as I studied about her and I studied about what God did in that region, it's, it's, it's a signature of an histeme that God has promised to us. My roots are up there. A number of you have roots from up there. And, and it's only in God's wisdom that he would call us there to tap in with the cross to that histeme and to really see the miraculous that happened. And I was interesting because I was studying about her life, and I recognized that she wrote a book, and that book was translated by a French prophet from Quebec. And that book was taken to France, and it produced a major visitation of the Spirit uh, in, in France. I also noticed that, stick with me here, there, when the Assemblies of God began here in Dallas, uh, a man named Fred Bosworth, F.F. Bosworth, who was known for healing, um, he started the first Assembly of God church here down at uh, Peak and... Uh, Garland, Peak and Gaston, and um, this church, which was known as Faith Tabernacle way back then, was an offshoot of that church, and in the 20s, he welcomed Mariah Woodworth Edward, Edder to come to Dallas, and at Fair Park, she had a six-month crusade. Every night, there were thousands of people in Fair Park who would come be slain in the spirit, be out for hours, healed of incredible, uh, incredible testimonies of healing, people being filled with the spirit. Six months, this woman from that histeme came and blessed this city. I think that's phenomenal. Now, sadly, you follow the tracing. Uh, Brother Noah knew Bosworth in his later days, Bosworth felt that there was more, I'm just going to tell it, this is history, he felt that there was more in the moving of the Spirit than what the brethren at Hot Springs had just agreed to, that there was more than simply speaking in tongues. Yes, you had to do that, but there was a greater realm, and when he began to teach that, there were a couple of guys who rose up and accused him of being a heretic, and so he got the left foot of fellowship, and, um, but he kept ministering, and he became a mentor of, um, of uh, William Branham, Gordon Lindsay, T.L. Osborne, 
a number of the guys that began to move in the 40s. And that's when Brother Noah, how he got to know him, because Brother Noah started welcoming these people here into Dallas. And um, he, Brother Noah, uh, who was my mentor, he, he was the one that welcomed all these people in to minister, whether it was Oral Roberts or uh, Catherine Kuhlman or whoever. And but so what I'm saying is all of that was just in God's time, just a moment away, a moment ago. And it's 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 the amazing continuity of God that he would say, you know what, there's much more. Not more of the same, even though that's going to be, but there's much deeper that I've got for my people here in these end times. And um, I, think, I think that is something that this knock is opening uh, the, the greater things, the greater works, based upon his scripture, tapping into the histemis of the glory of the Lord that have been deposited, and the best wine of them have been reserved for the last. And it's our privilege to accept that invitation and to do what he says, to seek as he says, and to be ready for that suddenly visitation of the Spirit of the Lord. I, I, just, I just think it's, it's a phenomenal, it's a phenomenal thing. And I, I just want to say this. I feel as strongly or perhaps more strongly about this assignment than I did when we first initiated those activations about the French-speaking people. And you know what happened as a result of our obedience there. God opened up Western Europe and a good portion of Africa. Um, I don't know what all God's going to do, but I hear him knocking. And I, I think that, that, he, that he is showing us this now is an encouragement for us to keep pressing through this seeking and to overcome the serpent because our Father wants to give us the fish. He wants to give us the people. He wants to give us the mysteries. He wants to take us deeper. That's what we're seeking in him. It's our Father's good pleasure to give that. And then the egg is going to come. I don't know how scorpions are going to try to attack. I think they're, they're intimidating creatures. They're not really bent on deception. But we'll tread on them. And God's going to give victory. But the incredible visitations of the Spirit uh, that God has in mind and in store are, are ahead of us. And this knocking, I believe, given to, in a very profound way, to your pastor, um, it's not really a dream and it's not really a, a night vision. It's more, it was more of an awakening. Um, I, I think, I definitely know that God is, is doing this. And so we need to revisit these passages because um, it's about sonship. 
It's all about sonship and communing with the Father and the way the Father leads. And um, we're asking, not just randomly, but as, as those called with airship and joint airship. And we need, we need to walk with Jesus as a brother. And we, we don't need to be deceived. Another voice we don't need to follow. We need that straight gate. We're not going to meander off into the wide thing after, after you've sacrificed all this time to partner with the Lord. You're not going to come all this way and be shipwrecked with the port in sight. And um, this, is, this is, I believe, a, a, an apostolic word for us. So we need to hold on. We need to keep seeking. And what do we seek for? Not a way out. <laughs> I see a light up ahead. Oh, that's a train. Uh, you know, we need to keep seeking him and walking with him. That's what we seek. We seek him and, and, and walk the step by step of what he leads us to do. And um, the knock is coming. Um, you know, it, it's, it's interesting, too, that these are just words, ask, seek, knock. It doesn't say you ask, it doesn't say you seek, and it doesn't say you knock. It just says the three words. So it's an equation. Partnering as sons with kingly authority, seeking, and the knock comes. We're going to, we're going to receive, we're going to find, and it's going to be open. But we just need to apply these three bullet point, point principles. And um, I'm, I'm very, very grateful for this. You know, as I'm going to conclude now, but um, the to do and to teach, there's just, God's just opening up the cupboards here. And a lot of this stuff, a lot of this insight and understanding comes after you've gone through the worst or, or what has been the most baffling. Um, it, it comes after you've done. Because if it came at the beginning, it wouldn't have had the effect. If it came at the beginning, you wouldn't have understood the lesson. It becomes very apparent after you've walked through it. And, and again, I don't, I don't really know what all um, uh, we're going to be asked to do prophetically, but I do know that God is laying the schematic and the histemi up there that influenced so many mighty miracles, so many. Oh, you know, the other thing about it is that this set the stage then for, with Mariah Woodworth Eder in the, in the late 1800s, for what would become then Hot Springs with the Assemblies of God, the Church of God, Church of God in Christ. Uh, prior to that, it set the stage for Azusa Street. So you don't just have Azusa Street. You don't just have Hot Springs. You know, there was a guy named Charles Parham who had a, uh, up in Topeka, Kansas in the 1800s, and he, uh, he felt God wanted to move in this country, and he wanted the deeper things of God. So 
he established this place called Bethel up there in Kansas. And people would come, they'd sell everything that they had, and they'd come up there just to seek the Lord, just to ask God to move in a deeper way. And one day, this lady, those of you who've studied it, Agnes Osmond, she said, I want you to lay hands on me because I want to go deeper than the Lord. And all of a sudden, she started to speak in a Chinese dialect. And after that, then, they thought, oh, this is unknown tongues. So they all started getting unknown tongues. And so what they did then was they started to have home prayer meetings, meetings out in the farms for communities where people would begin to seek for the deeper things of God and pray in the Spirit. And this began to spread throughout all over the country. And, and like Maria Woodworth Edder came into, into prominence then. She was impacted by that. And, uh, but you see these people who were willing to go after the deeper things of God in alignment with the Word and pray and seek God that happened a long time before Azusa Street happened because of Parham. It's, of course, the Spirit of the Lord. And then the result of all of these people that were all over the country seeking the, these things of the Spirit, they said, okay, we're getting... We're getting the stink eye from the religious people. And so we better come together and hang together or we're going to hang separately. So they came together at Hot Springs. But that would not have happened had it not been for somebody who had the gumption to say, we're going to seek after the deeper things of God and we don't care what anybody thinks about it. And we're going to pray and we're going to see in homes and in farms people who are going to seek for the Lord. And it wasn't popular. It wasn't spread all over the news. It wasn't something that was the cool or the neat thing to do. But that's what, as intercessors, set the stage for what we say is the Pentecostal visitation that touched our nation and touched profoundly Sweden and touched Australia. It was because of people who said, I'm willing to stand out and be mocked and to be considered as somebody that's gone round the bend, and I'm going to seek after the deeper things of God. That's the history of how God touched this nation with the move of his spirit. And these women that rose up, whether it was Mariah Woodworth Edder that then transferred to Amy Semple McPherson and then transferred to Catherine Kuhlman, are all a product of that. Because None of those three were accepted by the mainstream. I mean, they wouldn't let Maria Woodworth Edder preach anywhere. The Quakers had to let her preach. So it's all about wanting God and not looking for notoriety. And, and I think that if we say, well, it's been 20 years now. Well, it was about 20, 25 years. <laughs> this Parham guy and all these other people were praying. God seems to have that time frame in his economy for intercessors. And the knocking is coming now. He's prepared us during this time with rudimentary understandings of the deeper things of God, and we're going to tap into a great histemi uh, in the Northeast, and we already have been mining the fields and the deep things of the Lord here. Um, God has his unusual ways. And I'm thankful that 
his long stuff suffering <laughs> has kept us where we need to be because the best wine is coming and the knock is here. So I speak blessing over all of you. Um, I'm, I'm very grateful to God for his, uh, his kindness in watching over each of you and allowing all of us to grow together and stay together. And um, I, I speak blessing over this house, the houses of the saints, the various nations, the many nations that God has opened the door to and, and continues to open the door. You know, I'll say, I said I was closing. How long ago was that? Uh, in the first Saturday words, uh, there was a, a testimony from Sibel about what God's doing in, in Benin, the African nation of Benin in Togo, and how that there are many, many, many that are awakening and really functioning in diversities of tongues in Proskuneo, and Sibel put in that word, make sure you get your passports in order because it's going to be needed to go. And the Benishans have been ministering faithfully to, with Pastor Hervé uh, over these past couple of years. And there are, there are things that are happening that are astounding. It, you know, I remember meeting a guy who was a, a bishop in um, uh, Nigeria before we met Faladin. And um, this guy had, I don't know how many hundreds of churches that were looking to him. I only met him. We spent a couple of days together uh, when, when we were in Uganda one time. And, and so I gave him the books that we had. And, and I gave him the digital format for the books in French and in English. And I said, you take these and read them and you reprint them. You, you just distribute them. And he just stood there and wept. And I haven't seen him since. But I know that God has taken seed and Africa is going to erupt uh, in the work of the saints. It already is. That million man and woman vision that Brother Falladin had was from God. And it's going to happen. So we are, we are at the door. And... The Lord is the one that's doing the knocking, and he's ready, and I, I know that it's going to be a privilege to see what he, what he releases. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of partnering with you, and we, we pray that you will continue to guide us in the pathway that you have established. I speak, Lord, that not one of those that are walking as saints at this point will be lost. Help us, Lord, to evade and overcome the serpent that would try to keep us from finding the fish of multiplication and mysteries. Lord, help us to keep walking with you. We don't want to be as those that are wretched, who hold on to a treasure that is no good anymore. Help us, Lord. Thank you for your favor 
in giving us this calling. Thank you for what you're going to do. Help us to be faithful to walk with you in it. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.